Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. The pair of us have been covering this sport for a fair while. Uh, most of the time that's been in the UK. We've kind of gone our separate ways. Sandu's the other side of the pond to me, but we are still deeply embedded in this crazy sport. And uh, while our other great love, uh, soccer, has left us both battered and bruised after the weekend, we are both absolutely buzzing for what is to come. UFC Fight Island playing host to UFC 254, Khabib versus, versus Gaethje, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be big. But uh, before we before we launch in, how are you feeling, Sandu? I know you were on top of the world, and now you're down in the gutter by the end of that incredible. Tottenham West Ham game at the weekend as a neutral I loved it but I, I'm not gonna lie I did think Sandu was Sandu was giving it the big one on social when uh, sort of early on in that match and then it all went a little bit wrong after that um how 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 did you react to that Lanzini thunderbolt in stoppage time look you know you, you, you got to learn to give it and then you got to learn to take it Simon and after those first three goals went in you're absolutely right all my WhatsApp groups were like, we're going to win the league. And, you know, we were all kind of euphoric about this Spurs squad and the team and how they're performing. And Bale comes on second half. The King has returned. And then in the space of, what, 10, 15 minutes, West Ham just give us a good old punch in the gut. The game ends 3 all. Don't know what's happened. We should have got all three points. Come away with the, a single point. And, yeah, that was a horrid, horrid way to start my Sunday but you know, you move on, Simon. You know, you, you know, you gotta. You, it's Monday now. It's it's fight week, and I'm talking to you and recording a podcast about the biggest fight of the year. So the less said and the less talked and the less discussed about Spurs and what it means to be a Spurs fan right now, the better. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. For the record, my my team who can't even see Tottenham from where we are in the English football pyramid, Gillingham, uh, we lost to bottom of the league, MK Dons at the weekend. So. Uh, I wasn't exactly uh, jumping through hoops myself, but that's football chat. We, we, you know, we're just marking that off uh, and and putting that off to one side. It is the biggest of fight weeks this week. Um, absolutely huge stakes here. We've got uh, Khabib and Gaethje looking to unify the belts at fifty five. We will we will deep dive into that fight and into the other fights that really matter on that fight card in Abu Dhabi a little bit later in the show. But let's. Uh, Let's settle all family business first and deal with what happened on Fight Island at the weekend where we now have a number one contender. We weren't sure quite how this was going to pan out between Brian Ortega and the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. And uh, we weren't too sure that if Ortega won, whether it would be enough for him to be a number one contender. But the performance he put on was a dominant one. He pitched a shutout 50-45 on all three of the judges' scorecards. Uh, the Korean Zombie was less than impressed with his own performance by the end of fight night, but there was a, a gap in class. Uh, you could see it from very early on in the fight, and Brian Ortega got the job done. And uh, hair or no hair, Sandu, he's a contender again, no doubt about it. He absolutely is. And I'm going to eat my words now, Simon, because last week's, on last week's show, I said that if Chan Sung Jung won... I'd be all, all all in for him fighting for the title next. However, if Brian Ortega won, I'd have a few doubts. I'd perhaps like to see him win one more. I just didn't think that being out of the game for two years, almost, coming back with a win 
would be enough uh, considering you just fought for the title and, and lost. But he has completely changed my mind. And his performance on Saturday night has completely changed my mind. I've done a complete 180. Sign me up for him fighting Alexander Volkanovsky next. This was a completely different Brian Ortega. He's obviously been away in the lab over the last couple of years and completely rounded out his game. He's not no, he's no longer just a jiu-jitsu guy that can be a threat on the ground. His striking has improved. He put the pace on Chan Sung Jung. After that spinning back elbow, which I think he landed either in the second or third round, it, it, it was just, you know, there was no way for Chan Sung Jung to come back after that. And, and I think even in his Instagram post, he kind of talks about having memory loss following uh, the, the strike of that spinning back uh, elbow. So Brian Ortega, just a completely one-sided dominant performance against a Korean zombie, makes a, a great call out um, and talks about Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, talks about how fighting the champion would you know really bring some excitement into his life. And I think it's a great situation where Max Holloway is no longer the champion right now in the featherweight division because I think if Holloway was the champion... It might be a little bit of a tougher sell, just given how that you know fight went the first time round. But I'm just blown away, Simon, by T City. I, I was at that fight, uh, Holloway versus Ortega, a couple of years ago. I just moved to Toronto, and Holloway really put it on him. And some of the the graphic images that came out of Ortega's face just being completely busted up were you know were, were quite gruesome, you know, as far as facial injuries go. But man. I just love to see it. You know, a guy goes away, completely changes for the most part his corner, his his team. Uh, aside from I think keeping Hannah Gracie, everybody else is brand new. He's just leveled up his game, and yeah, and and, and it looks like Alan Volkanovsky also is up for it. He he goes out on social media following the fight, essentially co-signs the fact that Ortega is the next man up, and it looks like sooner or later. We're going to have Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega, and I'm all for it. Yeah, I think if you're Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, you're signing off whoever wins that fight because he's fought Max Holloway twice. He's beaten Max Holloway twice. But yet Max Holloway is still listed as that number one contender in the UFC featherweight division, which I kind of understand. You know, I understand it. He was a long, a long reigning champion at 145 pounds, and, uh, you know, he deserves... He deserves that ranking credit for that, and the only guy to have to have beaten him is is Volkanovski uh, since that title reign. So for him to be number one, I get it, but to do a third fight so soon after you've already beaten the guy twice is a tough sell. It's a tough sell for Volkanovski, and it's a tough sell for the fans as well. So I can understand why uh, the UFC were really looking at this fight at the weekend as a number one contender fight. And uh, the fact that it is Volkanovski and not Holloway holding the belt, I think left the door wide open for Brian Ortega to to really stake a claim. And he didn't eke past the Korean zombie, did he? He absolutely outclassed him over five rounds. So uh, the only thing missing was a finish. But really, that's 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 picking nits. You know, I thought it was a it was a complete performance from Brian Ortega, who, as you say, Sandu, he's evolving as a martial artist, and he's one of these guys. There's a few of them knocking around. Uh, in the sport who really Im- embody that martial arts spirit and the way that they the way that they look to progress themselves in their career and Ortega's definitely one of those and he's completely completely started from scratch with his training as as you said he's 
He's he's thrown everything else out, started from the ground up, rebuilt a team around him. And based on that performance, he's making big, big steps in the right direction. The question now is, can he move up another level and beat Alexander Volkanovsky? We'll probably find out, I would guess, early in the new year. I would imagine Volkanovsky is itching to get back in there. Um, Ortega will need to be medically cleared and all the rest of it. And he'll want some time off and a training camp and a full training camp at that to prepare for uh, for the Aussie. So maybe February next year sounds pretty good. I think that might make a lot of sense. Uh, pencil that one in for uh, early 2020. Alexander Volkanovsky against Brian Ortega for the UFC featherweight title. Hopefully uh, that is what will happen. Everybody stays fit and uh, everything goes goes well from there. Someone else who made a big statement, a big statement um in the co-main event, Jessica Andrade, former strawweight champion, former strawweight, long-time strawweight contender, moved up to flyweight, made a debut at 125 pounds, and smoked Caitlin Chikagin inside a round. Just finished her with uh, with some nasty body shots. Finished her, I think it was like two or three seconds left in that first round. To deliver a statement, finish Caitlin Chikagian faster than Valentina Shevchenko did. I think she finished her in the third round. Andrade did it in the first and immediately said, I think I can give Shevchenko a really good run for her money. So we've been talking about dominant champions on this show. And obviously we'll talk about probably the most dominant champion in the UFC a bit later on in Khabib. But you've got to say, Valentina Shevchenko is probably not that far behind in terms of the class, you know, gapping class between her and the rest of the field. She's head and shoulders above everybody else at 125. And it was a case of who is going to step in and really challenge Valentina Shevchenko. Maybe Jessica Andrade, although she's very, you know, she's small, but she's she's very, very powerful. She's got great cardio. She's She, she hits like a truck. Maybe she's the one to, to, to give Valentina a run for her money, but... What, how did you rate that performance, Andu? And do you think that that one performance, given it was only her first fight in a division, is that enough for her to be number one with a bullet, top of the list, to take on bullet for that 125-pound title? Given the standings right now and the, the available fighters, when you can when you think about you know what checks to the UFC's boxes to try and get someone in there as a contender to fight a champion, I think Jessica Andrade just took pole position, Simon. That was a fantastic performance. Uh, something to note is she is now the first female in UFC history to hold wins in three different weight divisions. Strawweight, flyweight, bantamweight. And I feel like with flyweight, she's you know even though she obviously was a champion at the weight class below at strawweight, I feel like at flyweight she's just, you know, packs a little bit more muscle and power. She's not as hydrated uh, dehydrated as she perhaps was uh, at strawweight. And she looked fantastic, looked great. And again, you know, like I mentioned, the standings right now, Simon, she just beat Caitlin Chukagin, who was ranked number one. Jennifer Myers ranked number two as things currently stand, but she's only riding a one-fight win streak. She beat Joanne Calderwood just a couple of months ago. Cynthia Calvillo is also just riding a one-fight win streak. And, you know, when you're looking at who is a potential uh, opponent for Valentina Shevchenko, a former UFC champion right? Someone that's just coming off a big win, right? And someone that would actually stylistically, I think, give Valentina Shevchenko a few problems. I think Jessica Andrade definitely fits the bill. And if that's the fight that UFC want to make, I'm all for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Shevchenko will face Jessica Meyer next. Um, I think Meyer got that got that shot um, earlier this year, and that 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 fight will happen. But you look at the rest of the division and kind of what's next. Cynthia Calvillo is ranked third. Unfortunately for her, she's I think she's recently tested positive for COVID, so she's she can't even get back in the cage right now. She's going to have to spend a little bit of time away. Lauren Murphy is ranked fourth. I wouldn't say she's quite in top contender status yet, but she's in decent form. She fights this weekend um, on uh, on uh, UFC 254. And then you've got Jessica Iyer, Joanne Calderwood, and I think they're going to fight each other uh, in the not-too-distant future. So really, it's it's a case of who's going to who's gonna break from that pack. But yeah, I think Jessica Andrade, ranked number two at strawweight, um, stepped up and just smoked the number one contender. I think you immediately go top of the list. I think she should be next in line once all business is settled with existing bookings. So that would mean Shevchenko takes on uh, Jessica Meyer, sorry, Jennifer Meyer. She beats Jennifer Meyer, as most would expect her to do. Then I think Jessica Andrade should, in theory, be next up. Uh, big things for Jessica Andrade. Big things, potentially, for Jimmy Crute, Sandu. Jimmy Crute taking on Modestus Bukowskis at light heavyweight. Modestus, who who I've watched a reasonable amount of here in the UK, um, came up through Cage Warriors, won the light heavyweight title in Cage Warriors. And I actually picked him to beat Jimmy Crute. I had a, my, my, my crown as MMA Junkies prediction champion has rapidly gone down the toilet this, this year. I'm having an absolute stinker of a run with the predictions. Um, I picked Modestus Bukowskis to beat Jimmy Crute. How wrong I was. Jimmy Crute, absolutely brilliant. Probably the uh, the best, or one of the best finishes of the night. Um, finished Bukowskis in uh, two minutes and one second uh, of the first round. Big knockout. And I think he's got big things ahead of him. He's He's got that sort of no-nonsense thing going on, that sort of no-nonsense Australian thing going on. Uh, he's good on the ground. He's got heavy hands and he will fight anyone. Um, the light heavyweight division used to be the uh, the thin division where no one really knew what was going on. It w- wasn't perhaps as talent-packed as uh, people wanted. But the 205 division looks like a lot of fun right now. And Jimmy Crute, I think, is uh, going to add to that fun in the coming months. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you were all over that finish of Modestas, Modestas Bukowska, Sandu. Um, he looks pretty useful, doesn't he, Jimmy? Yeah, he does. And that finish came at a good time, if I'm being honest, because we were riding quite a few decisions up until that point. Obviously, when I pick up things and where BT Sport on the official broadcast pick up things is after the fight pass prelims end. And so at that point, we had four decisions on the broadcast from the prelims. And then we were riding a couple of decisions on the main card before Jimmy Crute finished Modestus Bukowskis. So, like I said, timely finish. Obviously, you know... you. You don't mind decisions when they're competitive, awesome fights. And we had a few of them on the card, not going to lie. But you're obviously, you know, you're, you're tuning in to try and see as many finishes as possible. And Jimmy Crute delivered there. Obviously, you know, calls out Nikita Krylov, which I thought was a great call out. I'm all for that. If that's the fight he wants, you know, and if Nikita Krylov's uh, interested, uh, I'd love to see that those two, two matched up. And again, Jimmy Crute's one of these guys coming from, you know, New Zealand, Australia, you know, Aust- you know, Australasia, I guess, uh, that oceanic part of the world where the talent is just coming thick and fast at the moment. And, you know, you've got guys like Alexander Volkanovsky, 
Israel Adesanya leading the pack. And obviously you've got a guy like Robert Whitaker, former champion. You know, he's fighting this this upcoming weekend as well. And there's just been an explosion of talent over the last couple of years. And bring them on. The more the merrier because they show up. They really do show up and they bring a lot of charisma, personality, and of course, a lot of action in the cage. Have to say though, uh, not the greatest night overall for the British contingent. Uh, Modestus Bukowskis obviously representing the UK and Lithuania. You know, uh, he was coming into the UFC with a win in 2020. Uh, obviously, this is going to probably dishearten him a little bit. Hopefully, he can pick himself up um, fairly soon. And then, uh, you know, prior to that on the uh, the prelim card, we saw Jun Yong Park, a complete shutout of John Phillips, uh, the Welsh wrecking machine. And we know what John Phillips is all about, Simon. He He's there to, to stand and bang and to try and get a knockout. He's got like a ridiculous amount of knockouts on his record of finishes. I think 90 to 95% of his wins have come by knockout or TKO, but he's got a he's got a massive gap in his defense and that's his his wrestling takedown ability and his ability to to handle things when the fight goes to the to the mat and goes to the ground and Jun Yong Park exposed that once again uh, another opponent comes in with a modicum of ability to take you down and John Phillips just can't handle it, man. That's just the the cold, harsh reality of, of mixed martial arts. You can't come in as a one-trick pony and expect to have a good long run at the top level in the UFC. You need to have a well-rounded game. And uh, so, unfortunate for him. Uh, but going back to Modestus Bukowskis, look, you know, at, you know, the higher the weight class... The, the 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 punches and the kicks and the strikes it's a little bit more powerful and it doesn't take much to to clip you and uh, knock you down on your on your bum and uh, you know to get to be on the receiving end of a finish so hopefully you can bounce back and and better things are ahead of him in in 2021 occupational hazard of fighting in the heavy heavier weight classes isn't it you know you the uh, there there is there is less room for maneuver you get you get punished for every little mistake. Um, you know those shots, especially at the highest level. These guys know how to how to place their shots, and uh, Jimmy Crook placed a couple of absolute bangers on uh, on on Modestus Bukowskis, who I'm sure will bounce back. The other fight I wanted to talk to you about. You mentioned some of the uh, some of the fights that went to a decision. The one that really interested me, it interested me going in, and it's left me even more interested after was that featured preliminary card bout, uh, Guram Kutataladze against Matthias Gamrot. Now, Matthias Gamrot is a guy who is relatively well-known to uh, hardcore MMA fans over here in Europe. Former two-division KSW champion, featherweight and lightweight, and uh, undefeated at 17-0, got his UFC debut against a guy who, relatively, relatively unknown, but solid record, uh, coming out of all-stars in in, uh, in Sweden, Guram Kutataladze, and... Uh, and the pair of them served up the fight of the night. They both earned uh, a tidy little 50 grand bonus as a result of their performance. Um, but the thing that really struck me was the attitude of uh, Guru Katataladze, who won the fight by split decision. Um, I watched the fight live because I was I have to do reports on all on all of the rookies uh, for MMA Junkie, and obviously the pair of them were rookies, so I was keeping a close eye on both of them. Uh, and trying to work out how they were getting on and all the rest of it. And uh, to me, it looked like uh, Kutata Ladza started faster and better, but Gamrock came into the fight. And by the time it got to the end, it was almost too close to call. 
It was almost too close to call. I think I, I think I would have just given it to Gamrot. I think I think the takedowns in the end were a difference maker. I think he had more control uh, and striking wise, he actually edged it. So I would have given it to Gamrot, but uh, the judges went Kutata Lads's way. He's won his UFC debut on Fight Island. He's beaten an undefeated two division champion, and he holds his hands up and says, "Guys, I didn't win that fight." In the middle of the cage, he's got Gamrot, who looked absolutely shell-shocked at the decision, uh, left the cage and was walking around the cage. And uh, Katata Ladza was basically like, Gamrot, you won that fight. That that wasn't my fight. That was your fight. Um, which I thought was total class. Absolute class. And, okay, Gamrot now has a one next to his name instead of a zero, which it takes a little bit of shine off his record, if you like. But... Sometimes when you've got that O on your record, it can weigh around you like a bit of a millstone and it, it can change the way you perform and you end up defending the record rather than attacking your opponent. Um, and uh, it can be a bit of a, a bit of a problem for you. He won't have that problem now. And he also has the fact that, okay, yeah, he lost the fight on the scorecards and the records will show that he was defeated. But I think anybody who watched the fight will come away going, I don't know if he lost that fight. And if he did, he lost it by like the narrowest of margins. So it was a good defeat if that can, if, if such a thing exists. You know, he lost, but I think a lot of positives came out of it. He impressed with his wrestling. He, he struck on equal terms with a guy who, who looked a pretty tidy striker early on. But uh, so I think there's a lot to come from Gamrot. I think there's a lot to come from Kutataladza. But the thing I just, the reason I wanted to talk about the fight was A, it was a really good fight. Really good fight. Um, but I thought the the sportsmanship and the attitude of Kutataladza after the after the performance was absolutely top draw and I'm I'm delighted for the pair of them that they both got fight tonight because I thought they both deserved it. Yeah, when I was looking online at MMA Twitter, I think the majority of people were, were scoring the fight in favour of, of Gamrot. And when Kutataladze got the nod via the split decision and essentially said I didn't deserve to win this fight Gamrot did I knew instantly that that was a clip worth you know posting on social and it and it did well and I think sometimes honesty is the best policy and goes a long way with the MMA community and I think he won a lot of fans just by I guess being very open uh, and brutally harsh uh, and honest with with regards to how he felt about a his performance but more importantly the result clearly a lot of respect between the two men and you saw that as soon as the fight ended and as soon as the, the result was was read out who knows maybe they can run it back Simon I'd, I'd love to see these two to fight again at some point down the road if it's an immediate rematch or otherwise we obviously saw you know what a great fight it was they ended up getting the fight of the night bonus so clearly the UFC and Dana White um, you know felt the same way and a quick note on all-stars Simon because for the longest time I felt like Alexander Gustafsson was their kind of their their unicorn, their kind of their show pony, so to speak, right? The guy that was going to put Swedish MMA on the map, get a, a UFC championship, and and all the rest of it, never worked out. You know, he was always the bridesmaid, you know, never the bride in all of those title fights with John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Twenty twenty has been a fantastic year for all stars. Hamza Shimaev comes out of that gym and is now the breakthrough star of the year. We don't know what the ceiling is on this kid. 
We don't know how big of a star he's going to be, you know, as we kind of wrap up 2020, head into 2021. He's sitting there next to Dana White as the, the final few fights of the main card are playing out as they as they are. He's obviously a teammate of Garam Katutaladze. And like I said, for All-Stars, you've got Kamza, you've got Garam. I don't know who else they've got up their sleeve, but it feels like there's a fresh batch of fighters emerging from that gym. And it's exciting. It's good for European MMA. It's good for Swedish MMA. I'm very happy for that gym specifically. And yeah, I'm just going to really kind of pleased for Andreas, who's the head of that gym. Uh, we've obviously spent a lot of time with him, you know, covering the scene on, on the European circuit. And who knows, man, whether it's Goran, whether it's Hamza, whether it's somebody else, sooner or later, that gym's going to produce a UFC champion. It's not a question of if, but when. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, the other thing I was going to say just just about that that particular fight, it's a, a rare situation for the UFC matchmakers where normally you 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 put two people in a fight and then you have to manage their career afterwards. It's like okay, you you book this guy because they won, and then you book this guy as someone who's coming off a loss. I think you, the UFC matchmakers could quite easily book both of these guys as if they've come off a win because. The way that they performed, the level that they performed at. Let's not forget, for both men, this was their octagon debut. You know, this was a fight that it was their first fight in the UFC. Um, and uh, anybody making their debut under these circumstances deserves a huge amount of credit uh, when they get in there and put on a performance like that because the circumstances are not regular, are they? And um, for someone like Gamrot coming in there, a lot of hype behind him. He put on a, a, a good performance. Katotaladza came in, put on a good performance. They can book both of these guys as if they won and just move them up because these weren't two young prospects who were, who needed who need to prove themselves and work their way up. I think both of these guys are capable of challenging people in and around that top 15 area already. I think they're that good. So um, I think the matchmakers will be absolutely over the moon with uh with that fight in particular and uh yeah it was it was it was a good a good night of fights i know as you say we had a few decisions i mean jillian robertson got the first decision win of her career i think uh, she got given a, a jiu-jitsu black belt in a week and was pretty peed off that she didn't she didn't get a finish against pollyanna Botello, but was dominant in that in that performance i think she did really well you mentioned jun young park shutting out john phillips uh faris ziam french french striker looking very good caused something of an upset um, at least in my eyes, beating Jamie Malarkey, who really impressed me last time out. And then we had a couple of finishes on the fight pass prelims. Maxim Grishin um, moving back down to his natural weight class of light heavyweight, getting a win over Gadzi Murad Antigulov. And uh, Saeed Namagomedov, another one of the, uh, the Namagomedov tribe, getting a big, big win. 51 seconds against Mark Striegel from the Philippines. Um, and... Uh, who knows? We might see him stick around on Fight Island and get himself another fight. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether they can squeeze. They probably can't squeeze him on the card this weekend now. But um, who knows? Who knows if anything goes wrong between now and fight night? He's a bantamweight. He's on weight, and there are a couple of bantamweight fights on Saturday's card. So wouldn't be surprised if he's just uh, he's laying off the celebratory meals just in case he gets himself another payday. Um, decent fight night, Sandy. But that's just the. Just the starter, just the just the hors d'oeuvre for uh, Saturday night, which is is going to be huge. Now, before we launch into the fights, 
you're working for BT Sport, and BT Sport are the UK broadcaster for UFC, for, well, for all of the UFC uh, in the UK. UFC 254 is getting the pay-per-view treatment. It is on at prime time, pretty much, in the UK, which is fantastic news. Um, and uh, they've been putting out some pretty special content over the uh, over the course of the last the last few days. And I know BT get get a lot of props for some of the stuff they put out, you know, the video content they put out. But I've got to talk to you about this this little animated story that they put out about Khabib and his father. Um, and um, I watched it. I, I saw it drop. I think did it drop last night or late last night. Um, I, was it this morning? I can't remember, but I checked it. I checked it this morning and watched it. And uh, it was almost lump in the throat stuff. I thought it was absolutely brilliantly done. The choice of music, the storytelling, it, it works in all languages. It wasn't something that, it, you know, you could you could run that on in, in any in any uh, territory and it will resonate. It tells the story perfectly. And uh, I thought it was just a, a really lovely piece of work that I think brilliantly sets up the Khabib side of the story heading into fight night this weekend. Yeah, look, just to kind of give you a little peek behind the scenes when it comes to creating content. Uh, especially for for social media, I can lean on some of my experience last year when I was working for the PFL, where for the very first time in my life, I was uh, a head or part of a, a, a senior team head of a, of a social media and digital department of a, an MMA promotion, and I and for the first time I had a budget, Simon. I actually was given some money to go out and create what I thought was the right type of content to promote our fights or to allocate that budget to uh, the right areas where we can maximize content on social media. And I immediately leaned on a bunch of creative artists out there that have displayed a passion for MMA and a passion for creating content in, in our world. And I was you know, really you know, lucky that I was able to work with the likes of Ray Rod, uh, a guy called uh, Todd from his, his Instagram handle is Grip Designs No Limit and also Cutcraft. And we created so much great content that just went viral, got picked up by all the usual outlets and social. That, and again, this is not to toot my own horn, but we ended up winning an award specifically, specifically because of that. It wasn't for anything else, it was for the 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 special effects laden creative content that we were rolling out um you know accentuating some of the great stuff that the athletes and the fighters were doing in the cage and we beat out accounts like the wwe and house of highlights and fox sports right to win best use of instagram so when i joined bt sport and i had known this uh, prior to joining anyway They've been on fire for a few years when it comes to creating awesome promo content. And not just on the UFC account, but if you look at boxing, football, all the other accounts, like there's some really special content out there, really creative, very unique, very bespoke. And again, like I said, I knew this going into the gig and I've it's been definitely evident since I've been with the crew. They've got a great policy of being able to just think about, right, let's get the tone right. Who are the external creative artists that we can lean on, that we can work with? And I've seen them work with great friends of mine like Boss Logic. They've worked with Cutcraft, who I've worked with, right? They've worked with all these great artists. They've worked with Dosbrack, 
who's obviously very well known in our MMA community as well, another graphic designer. And so in this on this occasion, I don't know if anybody saw when basically Liverpool won uh, the championship um, you know, a few months ago, the Premier League after X number of years. There was a great cartoon animation just kind of almost telling the story of an entire generation going by, how kids in the 70s and 80s who saw their club, Liverpool FC, win the championship were now grown men in their 40s and their 50s and they've now got kids who are Liverpool fans and it when there was a great kind of generational story told about you know Liverpool winning the championship after all these years and and the unity and and the bond between a parent and their kid of enjoying that moment together right and so have to give props to two people specifically within BT Sport one Kevin Blundell who's a colleague of mine um, and I essentially the guy that I work with uh, most closely with on the UFC account on, on BT Sport. So he's the internal guy. He's the guy that produced um, this short animation promo and essentially wrote the script for it. But then there's a guy called Nick Murray Willis. And if you go on Twitter and find him or Instagram, you can find him there. And he's the animator. So those are the two guys that get all the credit but it all comes back to BT Sport uh, allocating a budget because, let's face it, Simon, you don't see this kind of content all the time. And look, it costs money. This isn't stuff that gets done for free willy-nilly. You know, it takes time. It takes money. The fact that this event is on BT Sport tells you that BT Sport are taking things very seriously with regards to a budget. The whole squad is out there right now. Kevin's out there. You've got the open mat team all out there in, in, in Abu Dhabi. They haven't been out there for any of the fight nights, but this is special because it's prime time on Saturday night for everyone in the UK and Ireland. Yes, it's on box office. Yes, you have to pay for it, but you're getting it prime time and it is legitimately the fight of the year. Uh, but to wrap things around to you know what you just brought up, the, the animation was just beautiful. Again, tone was spot on, right? And Khabib shared it. So he shared it on his YouTube and he shared it on his Instagram. So that tells you everything you need to know about getting the tone right, where it's all about Khabib and his father. We all know the story about his loss this year and what this you know fight specifically means to him. And just seeing it shared, you know, you know, throughout the day over the last 24 hours by pretty much everyone in the MMA community, from media, from analysts, from fighters, and just seeing the comments has been incredible. And and I don't even have anything to do with this, Simon. I'm just part of the team. Uh, I'm just helping to promote it. But shouts to Kev, shouts to Nick, and shouts to the brass at BT Sport that support this kind of stuff, allocate budget for it. Uh, because look, as we always say, the proof's in the pudding. The results are what they are. And I think when it comes to pre-promo for pay-per-views, for special events, this is the kind of stuff that really resonates with MMA fans. And I think it was a job well done here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that um, you were able to actually name-check uh, the people who were directly responsible for it because absolutely outstanding piece of work. And I've, I've just pulled up Khabib's Instagram because I, I was interested to see how he shared it and what he w- and, and what comment he would put next to it. All he put was a heart. He just put a heart and uh, John Anik, UFC commentator, straight straight onto it. Wow. Johnny Walker, amazing history. Islam Makachev, 
DC MMA, this is one of the greatest I've ever seen. Zabit Magomed Sharapov, you know, Ray Sefo, Mike Swick, you know, people are seeing this stuff and tone is everything in this sport. This is, this is the tough, I tell people, this is the toughest sport on the planet, but these are all still human beings. They have backstories. They have, they have struggles, you know, what, when they get in a cage and they compete, they're supermen and superwomen, but they have their problems. They have their travails. They have their issues. Everybody does. So I, th- and I think humanizing these guys and girls and, and humanizing them and telling their stories is what makes the the bond between the fighters and the fans that much stronger. And it's what really draws people to the sport. Um, I think if you watch that promo, even if you weren't a massive fan of MMA, you, you know, you had a, a passing knowledge of it and you sat and watched that. I think you'd be pretty hard hearted if you weren't at least slightly interested in whether this, this Russian guy who's had all this stuff happen can turn around and get it done on Saturday night in Abu Dhabi. I think, and I, that's that's the essence of storytelling. That's the essence of fight promotion. And I think this is the perfect example of it. So I'm really glad we got to talk about it because I thought, you know, and, and the other thing, you, you said, you know, there's a budget allocated to it and the rest of it. Stuff like this wouldn't work if you did it every week. If you do it every week, it just becomes same old same old you know but every now and again when you've got a really big fight and you produce a piece of content like that and it catches you in the feels like that does then mission accomplished as far as i'm concerned great job and um you know we've seen we've seen similar examples in the past with individual promos it was a great darren till promo uh before the before the tyron woodley fight and there have been other instances with UFC's content, you know, some of their old, some of their old primetime shows. I think one of my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of UFC video footage is the end of the UFC primetime show when GSP fought Carlos Condit. And um, it was, it was, uh, it was laid on top of a track called Lightning Crashes by Live. And uh, the end of that, video i've got hairs on the back of my neck right now remembering it it's it's brilliant look it up on youtube i don't think the original is up there but someone will have put it up there and uh, the gsp bj pen one was pretty tasty as well but for me the carlos condit one was was the best um and every now and again you get a piece of content that's just so it hits the spot so perfectly it just means you absolutely have to be in front of your tv set when when the fight goes down and I think that will that that animation will have done that for people ahead of this weekend. So with that said, Sandu, let's talk about the damn fight, shall we? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely huge fight. It is for all the marbles at 155 pounds. Khabib Magomedov, world champion. Justin Gaethje, interim champion. Um, all the chips go in the middle of the table, and someone's going to walk away. The undisputed UFC lightweight champion. Um, it's it doesn't get much bigger, Sandu. It doesn't get much bigger. It doesn't. And like I said, it is the fight of the year. And I, I think even following this weekend, I don't think the UFC are gonna give us you know, we got we got you know small fight nights and pay per views and all the rest of it to round out twenty twenty, but nothing is gonna be bigger as a standalone fight for the remainder of twenty twenty than Khabib Namagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Let's talk about Justin Gaethje first. He is coming off an epic win streak. James Vick, Edson Barboza, Donald Cerrone, Tony Ferguson, 
all finishes. None of those fights went the distance. This is a different Justin Gaethje to the guy that lost to Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez back in 2017-2018. He's rounded out his game, he's changed things. He's still a violent berserker of a man, but he's more poised. There's more strategy and technique and tactics behind how he's you know, entering the cage and, and taking out his opponents. Obviously, this is the toughest test of his career. Fighting Khabib is going to be the toughest test of anyone's career. He's undefeated for a reason, right? Justin Gaethje, though, he is the kind of guy that will come in and he's going to test Khabib. He really is. This is going to be a different kind of opponent that Khabib hasn't faced before because Gaethje's got a chin on him. He's not afraid to, to take one or take two, rather, to give one. And it's um, it's a long time coming for him, Simon. You know, he's the interim champion. It's, uh, I saw a quote, and I don't know where it was from, I think, and, and I want to give credit where credit's due. I think it was an interview he did with Brian Campbell and Luke Thomas on, on their morning combat show, where essentially, look, Ali Abdelaziz manages both Khabib and Justin Gaethje. We all know that Khabib is one of the top three biggest stars in the UFC right now in terms of his not just his appeal to a, a local regionalized market like the uh, EMEA in Russia, but just globally, you know, he his whole look, demeanor, charisma, fighting style, everything has just transcended uh, the sport. People know Khabib by his first name, Khabib. It's why his surname isn't on the, the marquee because everyone knows Khabib by his first name, right? And he, you know, they were asking him about this whole kind of situation with, you know, Ali managing both guys and obviously Dana White and the UFC being so in the Khabib business right now. And he doesn't care. He he doesn't care about, he, you know, not too, you know, uh, FM blind, but he just doesn't give a shit about Ali, Dana White, the UFC. This is a man possessed by one goal and one goal only, to be the undisputed UFC lightweight champion. And you know, in the process of that, to give Khabib Nurmagomedov his very first loss on his pro record in MMA. So I think he's going to be firing on all cylinders. Nothing in the build-up to this fight seems to indicate to me that you know, Justin um, has made any errors. Uh, I'm sure he'll look fine and on, on he'll make weight and, and, and all the rest of it. But just mentally, he looks absolutely spot-on and fantastic. And then when we're talking about Khabib, Simon... I mean, what a year he's had, right? He gets to fight in Abu Dhabi a year ago, defends his belt against Dustin Poirier, and, and for the very first time in his UFC run, you know, his father, Abdul Manap, is in his corner. A fantastic uh, emotional moment for him. 2020 has just been, you know, disastrous for a lot of people around the world with COVID and all the rest of it. We know that for the fifth time of asking, the fight with Tony Ferguson didn't happen earlier this year. Justin Gaethje steps in, defeats Tony Ferguson to become the interim champion. And now we've got a whole new fight uh, for Khabib. And it's going to be interesting to see how fight week plays out because he's already mentioned how essentially annoyed uh, and pissed off he is with uh, journalists asking him um, about his father. I don't blame media and the journalists too much because at the end of the day, it's it's an important part uh, and an, an important story heading into this fight. And everybody wants to get their own piece of content and perhaps a, a unique quote with regards to their story. Um, 
at the same time, I can understand from Khabib's point of view, constantly being asked about his dad, where he's essentially going to give the exact same answer, um, is going to you know put a toll on him. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this particular fight week plays out with interviews and media scrums and all the rest of it. Obviously, making that walk back in Abu Dhabi, where he had his father by his side all throughout fight week a year ago. This time around, you know, he's not going to be there. Seems like the rest of his camp is there. You know, Javier Mendez from AKA. You've got Daniel Cormier, who's also going to be in a commentary booth, is going to be there. So I think he's going to have everybody else. That's going to be a great support system. No, no one can replace your father, of course, but everybody else is going to be there. And he's aiming to become 29-0, and 0, Simon. Uh, and, and a reason why this is the fight of the year is we haven't seen him fight this year. This is his only fight of 2020. Khabib is one of the, the special talents of this sport, one of the best of all time, arguably the greatest lightweight of all time. He's, and if he's not there right now, he certainly will be on, on, on his way if he gets another victory over Justin Gaethje. But, I mean, in terms of his actual ability, what can we say that hasn't been said uh, already by numerous people in the past? The guy is just dominant. He He's just dominant. He puts it on you. He suffocates you. And not nine times out of ten, he's going to finish you. So we can talk about, you know, I guess, you know, predictions and all the rest of it later. But just the matchup itself is a mouth-watering prospect. And I absolutely cannot wait for Saturday night. And I'm I'm really glad that everyone in the UK and Ireland is going to get this one specifically at prime time. For me, it's going to be, I think, something like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm not complaining either. So, um, yeah, bring it on. I can't wait for Saturday, man. Yeah, I think... We we're trying to work it out. I was talking to uh, to my colleague Jag from the BBC because um, I'm going to be doing their report on it for BBC Sport on the night, and I think we worked it out. It's going to be around about 10 p.m. give or take because obviously you don't know how the uh, the fights earlier on in, on on the main card will go. If they're all quick first round finishes, then it could be earlier than that. But around about 10 p.m. Uh, would be would be my estimate 10 10:30. But it's such a big one. It's such a big one, and the thing about Khabib, which I think is so interesting, you look at some of the other champions from down the years. Let's take Anderson Silva as a perf. He's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum to Khabib. Um, I will put GSP in the same the same conversation as Khabib, insofar as there are certain fighters who, when you step in the cage with them, you don't know what they're going to do. Like Anderson Silva can pull the technique out of the bag. That you'd never seen before, you know, the like the the snapping front kick to to uh, to Vitor Belfort. You got someone like Anthony Pettis who run off a cage and, and and drop you with a head kick. You know what you're getting with Khabib. You knew what you were getting with GSP. These guys aren't going to turn up and surprise you with anything, except for the fact that you just can't stop them. That's the big surprise. Everybody knows what they're getting in with when they get in a cage with Khabib. And everyone thinks, okay, I can see what's going on here. I can see what he's doing here. I've prepped for this. I've done this. I've done this. They get in a cage and they've got nothing for him. And that's what makes watching him so fascinating because he isn't he isn't doing anything completely outlandish. He's not suddenly produced some incredible, spectacular technique. He's got his way of fighting that... No one else, no one else can replicate to his level. People might be able to replicate it to a certain level in the gym, but the level of intensity, that pressure from the top, the ability to control his opponent, um, there isn't anybody I think in the history of the UFC 
who does it as well as Khabib. GSP did it pretty well, very well. But I think Khabib is probably the best I've seen. Uh, Matt Hughes used to be very good. But this is different level stuff. And um, that's what I find really interesting. And you've got someone like Justin Gaethje. It's kind of similar, right? You know what you're going to get from Justin Gaethje. He's going to stand. He's going to walk you down. He's going to hit you hard with, with low leg kicks. And he's going to look to connect with big, powerful shots. That's his game plan in a nutshell. Now, that that the means to which he does that has been refined since his, uh, his UFC debut. He had that back and forth war with Michael Johnson. Then he dropped two fights where he got stopped by Alvarez and Poirier. But since then, as you said, Sandu, he's just elevated his game and he's just refined his game. And, and the win over Tony Ferguson was just a masterclass. It was brilliant. And shout out to Trevor Whitman, who I think is one of the most underrated uh, unsung coaches. I mean, I think most people in MMA uh, know all about Trevor Whitman and just how good he is. He doesn't get the same airtime and column inches that some of the other well-known, co- you know, more well-known coaches in the sport get. But make no mistake, Trevor Whitman is one of the elite coaches in the sport. Deserves more praise than he gets, um, and uh, I think he deserves an awful amount of credit for taking a guy who was basically a wham bam thank you ma'am kind of fighter just go in and just let it all fly now he's knocked off those rough edges and the performance that we saw against Tony Ferguson was just controlled controlled aggression you know he didn't leave himself open uh, I think he got caught once by an uppercut at the end of the second round against Tony Ferguson but that was it basically he he dominated the rest of the fight um and the thing that everyone's talking about, I'll kind of move it towards breaking things down a little bit, is the fact that Gaethje's got this collegiate wrestling background. And that's the thing, that that that's the big X factor. You know, everyone's talking about this. And I've been talking about it in the past as well. Um, he he knows all about wrestling. He He's wrestled to a very high level. Um, but the thing with this is he hasn't really wrestled in MMA. And that's the thing that makes this really interesting. For me, both of these fighters are going into this fight with big question marks over them. How will Justin Gaethje react if and when Khabib takes him down? How will Khabib react if and when Justin Gaethje starts landing heavy leather on him? Because both of those things are likely to happen at some point in the fight. Unless we get takedown, move to the back, submit, game over, or... Gaethje connecting with like the first couple of punches of the fight and that's it. We're going to see both guys have a degree of success in this fight. And it's going to be, how does, how does each man react when, uh, when the, you know, the, the secret source of the other, the other fighter comes into play, whether it's the takedowns and being pinned to the floor by Nurmagomedov or whether it's those powerful strikes by Gaethje. It's fascinating. It really is because, on paper, I think I think Gaethje might be the better rounded fighter. On paper, if you just sort of if you're doing the top trumps and you're rating striking, rating grappling, rating wrestling, the only question mark is over Gaethje's grappling because we've never really seen it. But we know Gaethje's got a rest, got strong wrestling credentials. We know he's got strong striking. The Magomedov striking is all right. Um, I wouldn't say it was world class, but it's it's decent. But his 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 bread and butter is his, his wrestling and his grappling. So how it all weighs up and how it all 
pans out on fight night is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, and we can talk about predictions if you like, Sandu. Um, I, I'm, it's one of those fights where, I mean, I'm going to have to write about it. I almost wish I could just put my feet up and watch it. It's going to be, it's going to be one of those fights where I, I, I watch it to report on it. And then once the report's done, I'll probably wind it back and watch it again just to look at the little the little nuances and the tendencies that you tend to miss when you're you're typing while you're while you're watching. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Stylistically it's great. The backstories of both fighters are great. And we've got a, a fight where the two best in their weight class are going head to head for the biggest prize in the sport. It's everything you could wish for. Um which way are you leaning for the result on this one? That's probably the easiest answer for me to give, Simon, because I've never really picked against Khabib. I'm picking Khabib to win this fight. In general, I don't tend to pick against an undefeated fighter, but it's one thing when you're perhaps talking about Fighter X versus Fighter Y and Fighter Y is, I don't know, 8-0, 10-0, 12-0. Khabib is 28-0, right? John Jones... You know, aside from that silly disqualification on his record, should also be an undefeated fighter, right? Khabib is legitimately undefeated, though. There's not a single blemish on his record. He barely loses a freaking round. I think the only round he's lost to, you know, in recent memory is probably just like Conor McGregor. It's, you know, essentially in his UFC run. So, and you talk about motivation, Simon. I don't think, you know, the fact that he lost his father this year is going to have a negative impact on him whatsoever if anything it's going to compound his efforts if anything it probably already has compounded everything he's put into this camp because he's going to probably be fighting for his dad and this performance this fight specifically is going to be a tribute to his father right so i I think on paper stylistically emotionally my money's on khabib here all all the very best justin now if he beats Khabib, will I be shocked, surprised? Yes, if I'm being honest. Yes. Because as good as Justin is, as great as of a run he's been on, Khabib is just that much better in pretty much every aspect. We can perhaps have a, a discussion on, on the striking, and Trevor Whitman's done a fantastic job with Justin Gaethje's uh, boxing ability. But I actually think the striking and the striking to level change to grappling is where Khabib is super underrated. I don't think people understand how good of a striker Khabib actually is when it actually has a domino effect on the rest of his game. So all the very best, like I said, to Justin Gaethje. Um, If he wins, I'll be shocked. I will be surprised. But I am absolutely picking Khabib to win this weekend. Yeah, I'm 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 going Khabib as well, but I do think I do think that the odds are wider than they probably should be. I think if you're looking for value, I think you get good value on on Justin Gaethje. I'm just looking at the odds right now, and the best best odds uh, I've found on Justin Gaethje basically give him a 25% chance of winning, 25% implied probability of winning, uh, 3.94. Uh, in decimal odds plus 294 American Um, and Khabib best price you can get will give you an implied probability of winning of 74.6% so 
that's what we're talking about. I mean, it is, you know, it is a big, he's a big favorite. He's a big favorite going into this. And, and I understand why, but I do think Gaethje has a much stronger chance than perhaps the bookies are giving him credit for. That said, I'm picking Khabib. I just think that, I think the big thing here is I haven't seen anything, and this may be a disservice to Justin Gaethje, but I haven't ever seen Justin Gaethje when he's back on the mat with someone wrestling him. Um, and for that to happen for the first time in his UFC career, at least, against Khabib Nurmagomedov in a title fight, I think I would rather he'd had a bit of experience of, of dealing with fighting off his back and showing me that he can get up and, and all the rest of it. I don't know anybody who can who can really get themselves back up again once Khabib's got them down. So that for me is is the big thing. He could he could connect with, with shots and, and, and do some damage. He's gonna have to work the outside and pick pick Khabib apart using those leg kicks and basically eliminate the takedown. If he can eliminate the takedown, then we've got ourselves a fight. I think that would be really interesting to watch. And then we will see how good Khabib's striking is because Honestly, I don't think Khabib striking is anywhere near on the level of Justin Gaethje. But I think what you say is, uh, you know, with, to your point about his striking, his striking doesn't need to be elite level. It just needs to be good enough to be a problem. And he showed against Conor McGregor that his striking was good enough to be a problem. He dropped him. And the reason he dropped him was twofold. One, his striking was okay enough. And two, they're so worried about the takedown. They're so worried about the takedown that the openings for the striking are there. And working with Javier Mendez up at American Kickboxing Academy, that striking is only going to get better. It's only going to get sharper. Um, if you put them both in a stand-up striking matchup, Justin Gaethje wins nine times out of ten. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that, that will be the case. But because we know, and I go back to what I said earlier, everybody knows what Khabib's going to do. He's going to go in there. He's going to take you down. So that's in the back of every fighter's head. So if Khabib has, has, has worked on his striking and can, can get some good shots off and lull Gaethje and thinking, hang on a minute, I've got to stand and trade with him for a bit. As soon as he does that, there's your opening, then comes the takedown and then off you go. So I think it's a fascinating clash. I think, I think Khabib is good in the right areas to get this done. I think Justin Gaethje has more than a puncher's chance though. Um, and if he does get it done... Um, it'll be a shock result in terms of the bookies. I won't be massively surprised if he gets it done, but I do agree with you that I, I'm, you know, I think Nurmagomedov is the legitimate favourite, and I'm backing him to win on Saturday night. Huge fight, huge fight, um, and uh, it's going to really set the table for 2021 as well. Because what happens in that main event will have a domino effect on what happens in the rest of the division. Michael Chandler is knocking around. He's doing fight week this week as a replacement fighter and he hasn't even got a fight. If something goes wrong between the time that we record this and fight night, he's going to be in there fighting one of those guys with a belt on the line, whether it's the interim belt against Gaethje or the undisputed belt against Khabib. So that's the other little interesting wrinkle with this. Um, but he's going to be a factor in 2021. Conor McGregor wants to be a factor in 2021. Dustin Poirier wants to be a factor in 2021. And don't forget Tony Ferguson. He wants back in again. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll see the sixth booking of Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson. Don't rule anything out at this point. Um, there'll be some sort of poetic justice if uh, 
Khabib and Tony went at it uh, for Khabib's 30th professional win. That would be that would be an interesting one. But um, yeah, everything will stem from the result of Saturday night's fight. So it's going to be a big one. But there are other good fights on this card, Sandu. And uh, co-main event isn't too shabby. That's got some, some serious title implications at middleweight. Former champion Robert Whittaker taking on contender Jared Cannonier, who has been anointed as the next guy in line by Israel Adesanya, who has almost single-handedly elevated Cannonier to this top contender. Stage. Obviously, he's had good performances in the cage. That's fine. But no one has made more noise about Jared Cannonier than Israel Adesanya, which I find really interesting. Um, but now he's got the chance. Beat Robert Whittaker. He's next in line. Whittaker wins. Maybe he gets a shot at revenge in a rematch. It's a big one at 185 pounds. What do you reckon, Sandu? Yeah, I love this fight. Great co-main event. Let's talk about Jared Cannonier to start with. Since he made his debut at middleweight, he's been flawless for the most part. Three fights, three wins, three finishes. TKO in the second round against David Branch. TKO in the first round against Anderson Silva. And TKO in the second round against Jack Hermanson. Some serious names on that list, including arguably the middleweight goat in Anderson Silva. You beat Robert Whittaker, who's only lost to An- uh, to Israel Adesanya in the last couple of years. Um, that's saying something. That's really, really making a statement. And when you have the current champion in, in Adesanya co-signing you as a number one contender should you win, as well as UFC President Dana White, the stakes could not be any bigger for the killer gorilla. For Robert Whittaker, though, this is a, an incredible opportunity to get another chance at both the middleweight championship and also to the guy that beat you, the guy that's kind of given you that that one blemish on your record in recent years, Israel Adesanya. And I think if Robert Whittaker wins, and again, we don't know what the, the world is going to look like in 2021, wouldn't that be something to have that fight take place in New Zealand or Australia or, or in that part of the world? Perhaps they can do another stadium show or something, you know, by the time they get that going again in 2021. Who knows? But yeah, look, Robert Whittaker's coming off a great win against Darren Till, who I still scored for Till, by the way, just for the record. Um, but, you know, you've got to give it to Robert. You know, he's he's come off this loss to Israel Adesanya. He took a, took a little bit of time off, right? He, he, he got things, you know, together mentally. And he's still an elite fighter. He's still the absolute... Cream of the crop. If, if he is still championship caliber material, right? And I and I bet he would like nothing more than to figure out where things went wrong against Israel Adesanya the first time around, and to have a second go to see if he can solve the puzzle that is Stylebender. So this co-main event is is beautiful. It's perfect. You know, I I think you have to give the winner a title shot, even if it's Robert Whitaker, because I think. And we've spoken about this time and time again in terms of what ch- you know ch- chicks off the, the 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 things that the UFC put on their list, right? Former champion rematch. They're both in the same part of the world in Robert Whittaker and Adesanya. That makes sense. For Jared Cannonier, new blood, fresh blood, fantastic win streak, and you've got the UFC president and the current champion co-signing you. What more do you want? So the stakes are definitely there in this one. And if I'm Gonna give you a prediction, Simon, right now. I think I'm just leaning Robert Whittaker. And I and the reason I say that is I just think there's levels, right? 
There's levels to this. There's top 15, there's top 10, there's top 5. And then there's championship caliber, elite level competition. That's what Robert Whittaker represents. I haven't seen that throughout the career of Jared Cannonier, regardless of weight class, yet. If he pulls off the win on, on Saturday night, things change. My perception of him changes completely moving forward. But as things stand right now, I'm leaning Robert Whittaker. Yeah, same here. Same here. I'm not leaning Robert Whittaker. I'm pretty strong on, uh, on Robert Whittaker winning this one. Jared Cannonier is 6-4 and four in the UFC. 6-4. and four. Um, He's had two fights at heavyweight. He's had five fights at light heavyweight and he's had three at middleweight. Now, there's no doubt that he has looked better at middleweight than in all of his other fights. He's he's found the weight class for him. He's he's uh he's brought his body weight down. He now looks absolutely ripped at 185 pounds. He's in the right weight class, he's in a sweet spot. He beat David Branch, who was a two-weight World Series of Fighting champion. Um Probably not quite UFC contender material. Beat him easily. He built. He beat an Anderson Silva who, let's be honest, is past his best. The one win that really means something is the win over over uh, Jack Hermanson because Jack Hermanson is on a bit of a run himself, um, and uh, he's a legit contender as well. So that's the one. That's the one fight that I think makes you sit up and take notice. The other fights, you can kind of explain them away a little bit. Um, but the Jack Manson fight is the one that makes you say, okay, this guy deserves a shot. If he beats Robert Whittaker, then he really does deserve a shot. And as you say, the thing that is in Cannonier's advantage in this fight is that it's only a three-rounder. I think if this was a five-round fight, I think the odds absolutely flood Whittaker's way because... He's negotiated the five-round distance. He knows what it's like to compete in a title fight. He knows how to prepare himself and how to pace himself through a five-round fight. And uh, that would be that be completely new territory for Jared Cannonier. But I think if Whitaker gets his pacing right, and he's gonna he's gonna have to adjust it because he's used to fighting five-round fights. He's gonna have to come flying out the traps in round one. Whereas normally you can kind of ease your way in a little bit and work your angles and all the rest of it. Whitaker's going to need to have a good warm up and come out firing. If he does that, I don't. I don't think. I don't think um, Cannonier could beat him. I think Whitaker is. I think the only guy who can beat him at middleweight is the guy holding the belt. Um, I think. I think he is the number two middleweight in the world. Maybe Till on on his best day can beat him, but that's it. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think Cannonier is good. He's solid, but I don't think he's in Robert Whittaker's class. Uh, and that is, that's why I've picked the Reaper to bounce back. And it will be interesting because, because they've had this previous fight, um, how quickly they look to make it and how they, how they do it. Because obviously, this is the last Fight Island event uh, of 2020, at least. Um, whether, whether they go back in 2021 remains to be seen. I would imagine they would. Uh, but we don't know 100% for definite. Um, so I don't know quite how they will do it. I don't know quite how they will book it, whether they whether they can book it uh, down under. If they can book it down under and they can find a way to, to do it COVID safe in that part of the world, that would be awesome. Um, but right now, I don't know quite how they will book that. It might be 
it might be a matchmaking problem. They might have to fly them all the way over to Vegas and do it there, which would be weird for two guys in Australia to be flown to Vegas for a fight. If they could do it in Australia, that would be awesome. But I do think that's the that is the likely next fight to make. Um, and then maybe we might get the John Jones fight at some point. Who knows? That's that that's the other that's the other thing that's knocking around. So, but big big fight in a hundred eighty five pound division. Let's take a look on the rest of the card, Sandy. While I get attacked by a moth in the middle of my office, I think the window must have been cracked open. Um, it is getting dark here in the UK. What we got? Alexander Volkov taking on Walt Harris at heavyweight. That should be a decent one. I mean, there's a fair few fights uh, of, of, of experience there. Walt Harris, this will be his 22nd professional fight. Uh, Volkov, this will be his four, his 40th professional fight. Blimey. So, um, former Bellator champion, Volkov, Walt Harris. Harris on his day, I think, has got it in him to win this fight. But Volkov, for me... I think he's just a little bit, a little bit too consistent. I think, I think he may well get this one done. How do you see that one panning out? Yeah, on paper, I'm picking Volkov to win this. I mean, they're both coming off losses. You know, Walt Harris is coming off a loss against Alistair Overeem, and Volkov. Not too long ago, we thought, here we go, we've got a brand new contender for the UFC heavyweight championship, and then he loses to Derek Lewis. He bounces back with a, a decision win over Greg Hardy, who, let's face it, isn't exactly top five, top ten competition at the moment. And then he loses a decision to Curtis Blades. So something's gone wrong there because he was coming off a, a great run of, of wins, you know, notably a win over Fabrizio Vadum. And so, again, on paper, I think Volkov should have all the tools and the experience to beat Walt Harris. But I just don't know, Simon. I just don't know if you know if it. This is another situation where he can't perhaps just get over that hump, right? Uh, to to push for a a title shot in the heavyweight division. So I'm curious to see how this one plays out. But if I'm going to put some money on anyone, it's probably going to be Volkov because, like I said, looking at his experience and looking at the level of competition he's faced, um, he should he should get this one uh, in the bag. But Walt Harris, he's a very big athletic heavyweight. Um, and, you know, obviously in his personal life, he's been through a hell of a lot. Um, you know, that overroom fight, he probably was carrying a lot of emotional baggage with him. Don't know if things have changed a little bit uh, for the better in terms of just his mindset, his preparation. Um, so I'm curious to see what kind of what Harris we get on Saturday night as well. Yeah, on his day, I think Harris has got it in him to be to be a top five top three heavyweight i really do um it's whether he can put it all together and i don't think there'll be anybody who would begrudge him uh a win to end what has been a pretty horrific time uh for walt and his family over the last 12 to 18 months so um be interesting to see how all that unfolds on fight night also on the main card phil hawes uh who came through the contender series i think at the second or third time of asking He's going to make his UFC debut. Lauren Murphy, who we mentioned earlier in the flyweight division, uh, is taking on uh, Lilia Shakirova. Um, I believe she was due to be facing Cynthia Calvillo. Calvillo getting tested positive for COVID. So they have drafted in an opponent on very short notice for, uh, for lucky Lauren Murphy. But the fight that precedes that is one that I think will have a lot of the hardcore fans uh, bristling with anticipation in the light heavyweight division. Magomed Ankalaev 
against Iron Kutalaba. It is a rematch. Uh, there is a lot of bad blood still boiling between the pair of them. Um, and uh, that's going to be a good one. They, they, they fought previously. And uh, Ankalaev caught Kutalaba early. And uh, was moving in for the finish. And referee Kevin McDonald dived in, stopped the fight. And immediately, it literally immediately, Kutalaba was complaining. Now, he hadn't been dropped. He'd been stung, but he hadn't been dropped. And the fact that he reacted so instantly and so, you know, he didn't look troubled when he, you know, he didn't look like, you know, sometimes you see guys, they're getting knocked out and they're trying to argue the case and they're sort of, you know, they're clearly not with it. That wasn't the case with Kutalaba. He looks okay. But he also looked like he'd been stung like moments earlier. So by the time McDonald had dived in and stopped the fight, Kutalaba seemed to have recovered his senses and thought all was well. So he was livid at the end of this fight. And there'd already been a bit of bad blood leading in. Um, this just added to it. So it ended up as a as a 38-second TKO victory for uh, Magomed Ankalaev. They're going to run it back at the fourth time of asking. So so this is... this. This first attempt was the one that actually uh, had the con controversial result. They have attempted to rebook this fight three times in 2020. Each time the fight got cancelled. And now, finally, please let them make weight. They're going to meet on fight night this weekend. And uh, they should do pay-per-view just for the face-off between these two. Because it's going to be great. I'm going to be watching the weigh-ins. I'm going to be watching the face-offs. And... Uh, Fight night is going to be a lot of fun with these two. Do not blink. It's going to be it's going to be a lively one. Um, how do you? I don't know whether you whether you saw the first fight, Sandy. There wasn't much of it to watch, in fairness. But um, what do you reckon? Yeah, I did. I do remember the fight, and you know, basically, Kutalaba was just playing possum. He got he got hit, but he was making a meal of it to try and lure Ankalaev in. But that obviously swayed. Kevin McDonald's, you know, opinion as he was seeing the action unfold to step in, and uh, it kind of backfired on Kutalaba. And like you said, they've tried to make this fight, this rematch, so many times. First at UFC 249, then UFC 252, then the Smith versus Rakic fight night event. We've had travel restrictions. We've had positive COVID tests. We've had all everything under the sun. It's 2020. Of, of course, things are going to go wrong with these two at the moment. You know what I mean? But um, I, I almost feel like we shouldn't talk about the fight in case we're jinxing it because I feel like we've previewed this one a good few times already this year. And so there's not too much more to add other than, I guess, we hope things work out this week. It's kind of like Khabib Tony Light. It's not on that Khabib Tony level because we're talking about fighting for a UFC lightweight championship, the cream of the crop, you know, all that, all the rest of it. But this is kind of like similar in terms of trying to get a fight or a rematch booked and things just keep happening to prevent the fight from going down. So hopefully things work out this week. I have no idea how this fight's going to play out because of how the first fight played out and how, I don't know if Kutalab is going to try to do something like that ever again in his career. Because I think he's learned his lesson. I don't think you want to do anything that may, you know, have the referee potentially step in. Also, I have to say, we've had some, I wouldn't say dodgy or weird, but very interesting referees on on this recent run of fight night cards. 
in in Yaz Island, Simon. And I'm not talking about the Mark Goddards, the the proven, tried and tested best of the best. Some of these referees who I've never heard of, um, and I, I don't have a specific fight to call upon to give an example, but I've I've just noticed things like, hey, fight, fight, uh, trying to get opponents to engage when they you know things should be playing out the way they are i've got no problem with it or there's perhaps a grappling exchange on the ground and they're being stood up very very quickly you know um or they kind of like the referee's giving i guess um direction to the fighter to, to, to do things and that's not really referee's place you should just you know keep your mouth shut uh you know for all intents and purposes and let the the action play out you know the way the way it does and obviously give warnings when and if you have to but yeah sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent there but i i have been a little startled with some of the the referees maybe it's a lack of experience maybe it's a lack of you know you know officiating the very top level fighters in the ufc and all the rest of it yeah there's been some dodgy stuff going on um so hopefully this weekend we've got goddard and you know all the all the rest of the the top quality referees um, officiating the majority of the card. But yeah, outside of co-main and main event, Ankalaev Kutalaba is definitely the one to watch on the pay-per-view main offering. It's a bit of a shame, just to kind of quickly wrap, wrap things up, that we, did, we didn't get Rafael de Sanyos versus Islam Makachev. Um, and I don't know, I mean, it's Monday. I know Makachev, I think for a while, they were kind of still listing him as a versus TBD opponent. I don't think at this stage he's gonna get to fight. I'll be I'll be shocked and surprised if in the next couple of days they they pull a rabbit out of the hat, make this a six fight main card, or chuck him on the prelims and just get him in a get him in an opponent. But um, he's he's someone I'm very excited about. I think a lot of us are very excited about, and it's a bit of a shame that we may not get him. Uh, we we may not get to see him fight on this particular card. Just knowing how much attention this event's going to get with Khabib fighting in that main event. I talked about it at the start of the show. We do have a lot of other great fight nights and pay-per-views coming, but this is, for me, the last real, real big offering from the UFC in 2020. It's the, it's the last event and fight that's going to get the most traffic, the most eyeballs, the most de- debate and conversation, traffic, everything under the sun. And so if you're a part of this card... It just means you're going to have more eyeballs on you, your fight, the outcome, and what it may mean for you further down the line in 2021. So a bit of a shame that we don't get to see much of fight. Yeah, there is a there is a small chink of light in the tunnel for people who want to see Islam Makachev fight. Guram, the, the, the aforementioned Guram Tutukaladza, uh, sorry, Kutataladza, I'll get his name right, that'll help, um, actually offered to uh, step in and fight him. Uh, he said, I'll... And he's, Apparently, this was suggested before he even fought Gamrot at the weekend. He said, I'll fight Gamrot and then I'll fight Islam Makachev at UFC 254. So I don't know whether this is being entertained. If you're Islam Makachev, that's a tough fight to take on short notice, even though you're the guy coming off a full camp. You just watched a guy for three rounds beat an undefeated fighter. Um, So I don't know whether that's a fight that carries an awful lot of upside if you're Islam Makachev. But Islam Makachev hasn't fought in a long time and he's itching to get back in there. So if he's looking at that lightweight division and saying, I need to keep myself right up there, um, then he needs to be fighting. So maybe 
maybe we still get that. Maybe we get Islam Makachev versus Guram Kutateladze. Who knows? I would suspect not, but keep that in mind just in case it happens. Um, I've got to mention very, very quickly uh, Ankalaev because every time Ankalaev gets mentioned, I have to get on my little soapbox and beat the drum for the man because I genuinely think he's going to be a championship contender in the next 12 to 18 months. His only loss came to Paul Craig in London in the last second, last second submission. If he'd have held on for one more second, he'd be undefeated right now. Um, So he's legit. I genuinely believe he's legit. He's he's a superb, talented fighter. He's got knockout power. He's got great grappling. I think he could be a major problem at 205. Um, he's fighting against a crazy man on Saturday night. So it'll be very interesting to see how he deals with that because um, Kutalab is probably just going to come flying out, flying out the gates at him and try and take his head off. Um, but uh, we will see how that pans out. Speaking of uh, the Russian contingent, Umar Namagomedov was due to make his uh, make his UFC debut this weekend. Um, I, I was one of the people that, or one of the first people to put the story out there, actually. He got hospitalized in Dubai. Uh, Khabib's team were training in Dubai, um, were due to leave yesterday. Um, and uh, Umar got hospitalized with what was originally reported as flu-like symptoms which immediately started ringing alarm bells about COVID and all the rest of it. And oh, crikey, Khabib is part of that team. Very, very quickly, it became clear that none of this is an issue. He had staph. He had a staph infection and that brought on a fever and all the rest of it. Um, So he's currently holed up in a hospital in Dubai. Khabib is absolutely fine and dandy. He's now making his way to Fight Island. He's probably there now um, as, as, as we record this. So, um, so yeah, so we're supposed to be two Namagamedovs on this card. There will only be the one. And obviously he's going to be missing his teammate, Islam Makachev as well, who may well be in his corner, I would imagine. He might well be part of his corner team, uh, could be on fight night. Big, big fight card, Sandu. I'm just looking down the rest of the card. Stefan Struve, Ty Tuivasa's on the prelims. Alex Oliveira's on the prelims. Uh, Casey Kenny versus Nathaniel Wood, probably the last one we should we should quickly talk about before we before we shut up shop for the week. Um, this is a really interesting fight. Uh, both guys are four and one in the UFC. Casey Kenny's got some good wins. Ray Borg, Manny Bermudez, Luis Smolka, and Alatang Haley uh, just a week or so ago, um, and has only been beaten the once against uh, Mirab Valishvili, who's moving his way up that bantamweight division. Nathaniel Wood also four and one. Um, Johnny Eduardo, Andre Yule, Jose Alberto Quinones, and John Castaneda. The big difference, and he lost to John Dodson. The big difference, though, is finishes. Nathaniel Wood has got three finishes from his four wins, whereas Kenny has just got the one. So, I, but I do think this is a really good test. I think this is a really good test for both guys. Whoever wins that fight is likely to get shoved in there with 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 someone with a maybe with a number next to their name next time out. Cause I think the UFC views both these guys as rising stars of the division. And uh, Nathaniel Wood, after bouncing back from the win against John, uh, sorry, from the defeat against John Dodson, he'll be looking to make it two in a row and build some momentum again, Sandu. Yeah, absolutely. Nathaniel Wood obviously had an up and down 2020, had that loss against John Dodson to start the year in February, bounces back with a win against John Castaneda. And so he's back on track and, you know, I'm picking him to win this fight. I, I, I like Nathaniel Wood. Obviously, 
the, the loss against Dodson, it's not exactly something that derailed him or anything like that. I think it was one of those fights where things didn't go right for him. He's out there in Rio Rancho in Mexico, probably the furthest he's traveled for a fight. So I'm sure that was a massive learning experience for him. But, you know, Abu Dhabi, a little bit more close to home. He's fought there already once before a few months ago. And it's a good time as well. It's, it's on the uh, the Fight Pass prelims or the early preliminary card. So everyone should be well or wide and wake in the UK uh, to see their fellow countrymen uh, and to support him and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, good opportunity for him to end 2020 with another win and uh, to kind of get things back on track in that uh, well, I, mean, I, I want to say bantamweight division, but this is going to be contested at 140 pounds. Uh, so it's a catch weight. So um, uh, maybe this is going to be even a better performance. Who knows? Maybe this is the kind of fight at 140 pounds when Nathaniel Wood is like, well, I'm not as you know, hot, you know dehydrated as I normally am in a fight week. Should I perhaps consider featherweight? We've seen this you know, from t- time and time again. Um, with many fighters where they kind of test the waters most of the time it's they're coming off a few losses and they, they want to revamp or kind of hit the reset uh, button on their career so they just kind of move up or move down a weight class here it's this i guess circumstance i have no idea who suggested this fight be at 140 pounds again maybe it's just the the, the time uh, that was put into this fight being booked and how much preparation these guys could put into this particular bout regardless this is going to be interesting to, and maybe if I'm a me- member of the media and I'm talking to Nathaniel both pre and post fight, that is something I'd want to ask him in terms of how he felt, um, you know, both in terms of cutting weight, the weigh-ins, and his overall performance. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I do like um, Nathaniel Wood's chances on Saturday. Yeah, I think because uh, Casey Kenny fought only like a week or so ago, um, very quick turnaround, and I yeah. think they didn't want him to have two big weight cuts in such. Such a short space of time, I would imagine. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just, just uh, taking a punt there. But I, I would assume that that's the case. They're both natural bantam weights, so no one's going to get a noticeable advantage over the other one. Um, I think it's just one of those Bellator do this quite a lot, um, where the two fighters will basically make an agreement. I think um, Peter Queeley and Ryan Scope did it in Dublin, they basically turned up for fight week all ready to fight at 155 pounds. And they both had a little chat with each other. Then they went to the commission and said, and, and, and Bellator and said, we'd quite like to do this at 170. If you guys got any problems, if we do this at 170, we don't have to cut down quite so much. We'll give you guys a better fight. We'll be, you know, we'll be fresher. And, uh, that's what they did. And uh, was it 170 or 165 or something like that? But yeah, so they went in there at a catch weight or a contracted weight that, that was just a bit higher than the usual weight. And uh, it turned out they, they did put on a great fight. So hopefully we'll get a similar result here with Casey Kenny and Nathaniel Wood. Um, as it's listed right now, and bout order is always subject to change, they are currently listed. It's currently listed as the second fight on the, on the card, on, on, on my card here on Tapology. Um, whether that's accurate or not, I'm not too sure. But if it is, that means that'll be on the um, the UFC Fight Pass prelim portion of the card. Just to mark your cards with the TV times, because they're spoiling us with this prime time MMA all of a sudden, Sandy. So people need to make sure they know when this stuff's on. The early prelims on UFC Fight Pass are scheduled as of right now for 3:30 p.m. That may change if we lose a fight off the card or something like that. But 3.30 p.m. UK time will be the early prelims 
on UFC Fight Pass. We then move on to the televised prelims, which will be at 5 p.m. Tea time prelims uh, in the UK. That'll be live on UFC Fight Pass and on BT Sport 2. Then we move on to the main card at 7 p.m. Main card at 7 p.m. This is like, you know, this is this this is just the best thing. Uh, main card at 7 p.m. Live on BT Sport box office. You will need to get your arrangements in order in advance. Don't do it last minute because it always goes pear-shaped when you try and do these things last minute and you end up missing some crazy knockout in the first fight of the night. So get it done early. I think it's 1995, I think it is, if, I, if I'm right, or 1999. I think it's 1995 um, for the pay-per-view on, on BT Sport box office. Everything should be wrapped up according to my official UFC schedule that I'm looking at by 11 p.m. UK. So unless you're someone like me who's got to then go off and do the watch the press conference and all of that sort of business, if you're just sitting and watching the fights, you could be all wrapped up in bed with a hot chocolate at 11 o'clock. This could this could be perfect. So um, you get to watch the best lightweight fighters on the planet going toe to toe for the biggest prize in the sport and you don't have to sacrifice your Sunday to do it. This is this is this is a rare treat and well worth twenty quid, in my opinion. Um, it's going to be a good one. UFC two fifty four, um, and we will be back next week to talk about all of it. But before we go, Sandu, do you want to do the honors? Absolutely. So for those of you who want to join the Brit Pack, where we would love to see you guys hit that subscribe button is on our Substack. So it's the Brit Pack. Dot substack.com that's the britpack.substack.com you pop your email there you subscribe and then once you kind of go to the the web page you can from there just engage with us comment on our episodes drop any questions if you have any questions you'd like us to ask i think simon pretty soon we should um, start doing a q and a we used to do them back in the day on our first run with, with the pod and i think sooner or later um, a Q&A segment to the show is going to be called upon and I think that would be a great way for the listeners to get involved with the show and on a regular basis but for now if you just go to the Substack, that would be fantastic and like I said from there you can just then just pick you know pick your poison go to the Apple link Spotify link it's all there for you for those of you that do listen on Apple um, or do kind of I guess digest your podcast on the Apple podcast platform a huge help to us would be if you go onto our podcast page and drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really helps. It goes. A, it takes 30 seconds of your time, but it goes a long way for us because it really helps uh, the show you know, get found by potential new listeners on the, the old Apple algorithm. So that would be a huge help for us if you can do that. And then, of course, if you want to follow us on social media, it's the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. And if you want to follow me, I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, you'll be able to see Sandu's handiwork um, on social media. I think you'll be you'll you'll be tweeting from your own handle this weekend, won't you? Yes, yes. So that, I tell you what. I, and I, we've spoken about this offline, but I don't mind sharing this little tidbit with our listeners on the show. I do the bulk of the live broadcasts for uh, BT Sport when it comes to uh, the UFC and the WWE shows. But because 
the live team, the, 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 the whole squad is out there in Abu Dhabi, both the guys behind the scenes from social media, digital production, as well as the on-camera talent, Adam Catterall, Nick Pete, Dan Hardy, and all the rest of them. It's my night off. I don't have to worry about anything on the BT Sport platform. So for me, it's a little bit extra special where I'm, I'm actually off on Saturday, which means I can kick back, I can just be a fan, and I can, I'll probably just be tweeting on my own account as as the uh, as the event and the fights play out as they as they will. So so yeah, I, I'm going to be chilling. I'm going to be. In, I think I'll have my lunch and then it'll be right into the main card or right into the uh, the prelims. So yeah, I, I, I'm really buzzing for this weekend's event because I don't have to worry about work. I don't have to stress. There's no pressure on me. I can literally just chill out, be a fan, and not have to worry about any work. So I'm buzzing for it. I'm delighted for you. I'm doing shitloads of work. Um, <laughs> I've got, I'm, I'm triple parked this weekend, so I'm going to be. I'll be on duty for BBC Sport. I'll be on duty for RT Sport in Russia, and I will be on duty for MMA Junkie stateside. So my, I'm going to be. I'm going to be basically just destroying the keyboard over the course of the weekend. And uh, hoping that I don't miss anything while I'm typing. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a busy busy weekend of fights, um, but it's gonna be great fun. This is this is this is what we get into the sport for to you know for the big events for the big fights. This is what it's all about. Um, thanks for joining us on the show this week, and enjoy the fights this weekend. It's gonna be an absolute banger of a weekend, and we will catch up with you next week to unpack it all. Thank you for checking out the Brit Pack. We will talk to you next week. Bye.